0: Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. We're your hosts, Ken Seymour and Richard Geiger. If only we had a studio audience present to clap for us whenever we said our names. It would be so, so handy. (laughs) They won't hear it, but we will. (laughs) Just going to laugh at us. Yeah. Uh yeah, that's good stuff. So we are back this week returning to something that we have done in the past that we particularly enjoyed. Both of us are massive fans of music, and while we have a great overlap in what we have heard, there's still some areas where we know some stuff that the uh that the other person doesn't, and so to kind of broaden our palettes, we decide to give each other an album that the other has not heard.
1: Yay. In the past I have Delivered some excellent cuts from <laughs> Guar, for example. Um, uh, this time decided to go more still non standardish let's call it, but uh, more palatable, let's also call it.
0: Uh, I'll definitely go with that. I, I don't have anything against uh, hard rock or heavy metal, just so long as it's fits my taste. I'm trying to find a nice way of saying it. <laughs> <laughs> that did not fit my taste.
1: <laughs> it fits
0: a select taste. Yes. It. They have a, the guar has a, a really large fan base and clearly there are good reasons for it, but that was a different episode. This is a new episode. So uh, to my friend, Richard, I decided to go into a slightly older uh, catalog. Uh, I was, brought up on a lot of older music from the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Even though that's technically before my time, uh, I was lucky enough to be exposed to a lot of it. And I had uh, a big love of jazz early on. So I decided to give Richard uh, a compilation of a handful of jazz music by the late, great Charlie Parker.
1: So you told me what it was. You sent me the text. and said, "This is the one that I have chosen." And when we initially talked, you said, oh, "I'll probably do we'll probably do Charlie Parker." And he sent me the text, and the name of the album is it's first of all, it's Savoys it's like Savoy Apostrophe. S, so it belongs to Savoy. So I was like, right, what am I missing here? Because I did searches. like I did searches. Uh, I've got a subscription because I have an iPhone my subscription is through Apple Music which has a catalog of virtually everything on it not everything virtually everything and in doing the search for that I typed in Savoy and there's some other artist out there that is by the name of Savoy so mm-hmm. I was like well maybe he switched it up I don't know I typed in Savoy I typed in Savoy's. I typed in, I had to type in the entire title for the search engine to find the actual album, which I I thought I was going insane for a second there because I was like, what am I missing? And then I found it. I was like, okay, now this makes more
0: sense. A lot of the early jazz artists, uh, like many other artists, go from one recording studio to another. Um, but it's really hard to nail down some of the early jazz musicians' studios and, and any recordings, really, for a lot of them. Uh, so I just want, I wanted something that had that that was not polished, or at least not polished by, the, by reproduction and getting rid of the, the, the original sound. I wanted it to sound like it originally was recorded
1: and with this album you got a you got a mix because there were some that i think were maybe studio but a lot of them were filmed in front of an audience in this particular studio so you got yeah. some live performances and you got some just straight up recorded performances so you got a mix of both and what i had talked about before is off we were chatting about this before is i i enjoy the sound that isn't the clean modern sound so these right. recordings were done i mean charlie parker died in 55 so this had to have been i bet this was early this is probably in the 40s i would guess yeah it's, it's it's pretty old um and so the recording quality obviously isn't going to be as up to par as what it is for something that was recorded in the shoot even the 70s but i appreciate that it sounds it has a unique feel to it and When you, at least for my subscription, how it works is when you play an album and that album is done, the music will continue based on that album that you played. So it just plays randomized songs from various artists that resemble or in the close family to that. And it's like an instant switch because all the other recordings are these clean, crisp sounding things. And it just sounds odd to make that switch from those older recordings to the newer, cleaner recordings, and I kind of like the older recordings better for this particular type of jazz music. It just has a, I don't know, better feel to it. Yeah. It's hard to describe.
0: No, there's there's some sort of emotional weight that is kind of carried with it, uh, an ambiance that you just can't get with the cleaner recording. It's, it's, it's similar to um, a, a large argument that was had when CDs really first became uh, a big thing, the, the digital... Uh, the beginning of the digital music uh, revolution. Comparing that to cassette tapes, or especially to vinyl, you had a much different bass sound palette than than the older than the older stuff. And in some in some ways, it, the newer stuff, yeah, it's great. I mean, it's clean, it's it's crisp, but it just it doesn't have the warmth. It doesn't have the feel like you're in the room with them. Mm -hmm.
1: There's almost this hum or crackle that Mm -hmm. you constantly get as it's being recorded maybe, or you're getting that hum or crackle from the microphones that are kind of delivering that little bit of uh, picking up the rest of the room, right? Where the microphones now are so clean, you're only going to pick up what it's intended to record, where back then it picked up a lot more.
0: Yeah. So what did you think of, the album itself, the selection of songs that was included.
1: Well, in, in this album, one of the things that I appreciated was it was 30 minutes long. <laughs> so there's 10 songs, 30 minutes, and each song... I mean, the first song in the album's four minutes, but everything else is like a two-and-a-half or a three-minute song. So it moves by, honestly, fairly quickly. We decided a couple weeks ago that we were going to do another one of these recordings but we really decided a week ago that we were which albums we were going to listen to so I've had a week to listen to it I've listened to the album four times so uh, at least four times if not more so I've had a, a, a good opportunity to cycle through the, the the songs multiple times and there is since it's not a single recording or a single album It's a mixed bag of recordings. You get a mixed bag of quality. You get a mixed bag of uh, good songs, eh, bad songs. You get a mixed bag of feel, right? So some of them have this up-tempo feel to them. Some of them are slower or mellow. But there is a placeholder in this. It's got a tag on my heart. It's my heart. So one of... The best movies of all time is a little movie that we've discussed in the past called Cable Guy, um, which unfortunately has one of the worst actors of all time by the
0: name of Matthew
1: Broderick
0: in it. However, he's fantastic. Don't listen to him.
1: There is a scene in the movie. And if you've seen it, you know exactly what I'm describing here, where uh, Jim Carrey's character basically goes into the bathroom and uh, assaults Owen Wilson yeah. in a pretty funny interaction. But as he's doing the assault, you know, and he and he's done, he's like, you could see, like uh, he's like, Salt Peanuts, Salt Peanuts. And the song is on this album. <laughs> I think that's why Ken chose it. it is. So uh, the fact that the song is on this album is, to me, hilarious awesome it's it's just it, it fits now in listening to the album like i said there's 10 songs on here the second song is one of my favorites coco and i'm going to get into the names a little bit because i have it anyway coco is the second song and during the first you know minute of this song it's actually one of the recordings on the album that's cleaner it's a little it's a little brighter a little bit more vibrant has less of that live fuzzy feeling to it it's a little it's a little bit more polished and it's got a kind of play on it that that when you hear it i was just like why that that's familiar okay like that's Like, did I just hear the cable? No, okay. So because then it 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 plays on later on, and then the salt peanuts is the ninth song on the album, and of course in the car when you have things, it puts it on display, and the announcer is talking about it, and that's another comment I have about it too. But anyway, you get to the ninth song, and you look and it's like salt peanuts. I was like, what? No way! Like no! (laughs) Like this? Yes! Like it was I was excited about it because they just kind of get to jamming and he's like salty nuts, salty nuts, and he just like that's the whole thing, and it's it's another one of those really quick songs like it goes pretty pretty fast through the cycle of the song itself, but the actual music itself is is pretty fun. Yeah, but I like I said I thought with Coco I was like wait a second I'm like this that's got the cable guy vibe to it and then of course right at the end it's got salty nuts on it top. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was pretty excited
1: about that. Uh, my favorite little section was probably the middle. Yeah. So the Ornithology, Cheers, mm-hmm. and Parker's Mood were my favorites of the whole collection. Um, Parker's Mood has like that. A, a lot of these songs are a little bit more
0: up-tempo, right? Yes, Where yes.
1: Parker's Mood is a little bit more chill. It's actually got, in my opinion, like a, a Peanuts vibe to it.
0: Yeah, it does. It definitely does. I mean, that it's when you think of how jazz is presented in visual media, like uh, television and movies, more often than not, it's kind of got a couple of different directions that it goes either chaotic and all over the place, or it's that kind of cool feeling that's trying to elicit some sort of an emotion. And that's kind of the way that that one hits. It's I, I, I really like that particular song a lot myself, and, and, you know, a lot of people do. I mean, it's one of his more popular songs, and, uh, I mean, if you look on you know, Spotify, so long as you still listen to Spotify and haven't been... I haven't hit that cancel button. Right. <laughs> it's gotten by far the most listens in that particular album at uh, over 3 million.
1: So that makes sense. And it, once again, in terms of the recording quality, too, it's a little bit cleaner than some of the other ones are. Yeah. Um, but it really kind of hits its stride in that middle chunk. Um, once you get... So my, one of my observations I have on a lot of these songs is this is a, quote, a collection of Charlie Parker stuff, but really in the songs that he kind of jams out on, you 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 really don't get a heavy Charlie Parker from this particular set. No, it, it, the, the, the thing I noticed is it's really trumpet heavy. This particular album is so whomever the and I haven't looked the whomever the accompanying artists are with him. If he carries the same band through these different recordings, the person playing the trumpet is really a prominent piece in this. And there's a couple bass solos and a couple drum solos that are in there. But whomever is performing the, you know, the percussions and the and the drums, they keep up. There's some piano in there too. Uh, the whole ensemble is pretty solid throughout each of these different songs. Now, like I said, it's a collection. So they're recorded at different times in front of different people at maybe in a different studio within Savoy's studio. Who knows? But the actual collection, I, I feel like is probably some slightly different artists across it and the one thing that i missed in this recording was the mixing Mm -hmm. and even when you go to some of the more modern recordings i feel like when you're when you're hearing jazz and maybe it's because it's the forefront like if you're hearing music today and you hear the person that's belting out the lyrics they're really strong. And then maybe the person jamming on the guitar is the strong thing that you hear. Mm-hmm. But the bass guitar kind of, you know, i.e. Metallica uh, gets drowned in the background. <laughs> a little bit. So in this one, there's a couple of songs that just have these amazing, almost like fast tempo walking bass solos. But you can't really hear them that well because of how they're recorded. No, like yeah. the, the, the trumpet, the saxophone, they are loud, they project. But the stand-up bass that you're gonna hear in all of these, it doesn't project. So I, I get it, trying to get a recording, get a mic stuffed in there so that you can actually hear isn't it wasn't it was hard to do back then. But you could tell that they had talent. You could tell like the bass lines and like like the tempo that were on point. So the whole ensemble, like the, the whoever whoever was playing the drums throughout these Uh, they really knew how to kind of keep the tempo because, like I said, a lot of these were really quick. But in listening to it, the other thing I like is how clean the drum kits are, right? Mm -hmm. There's just a couple pieces with it. And I get it. Once again, this is, like we said, probably in the 40s, right? You're not going to have some elaborate, nonsensical drum kit with 30,000 pieces on it. You know, just look at... um, Oh, the guy from Tool, his drum yeah. kit Danny Carey. Danny Carey, which has a thousand pieces on it. Like you're not gonna get that. You don't need that. But that's what makes it better is that you just have a couple pieces and the person is just jamming out on all those individual pieces really well. Yeah, just
0: kind of keeping it simple and and being the backbone of of what it needs to be so that everything else can work. And it's kind of funny, uh, when I was younger and listened to this in a way, the way it was recorded made me appreciate the bass more because I had to listen for it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't; it was active listening rather than just letting it kind of wash over you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I kind of fell in love with it. And a lot of the same jazz musicians would play together in sets all over the place. Uh, if if anybody hasn't seen it already, there's a fantastic um, documentary on Miles Davis on uh, Netflix. Um, uh, but it kind of gives you a little bit of uh a little bit of an impression of what it was like to try and be in that music scene, even though he was later uh than than Charlie. There there was overlap, but but he came in a little bit later mm-hmm. than than the others. He was he was a youngin' at that time. Um, but yeah, it the tonality of Charlie Parker's saxophone is just excellent uh, I played poorly in <laughs> in school um, and I could never get rid of that reedy sound and it just never had that kind of that sweet spot where it had what you would think of as as a really good saxophone sound and just man he had it
1: yeah you don't get that s- the squeak or squeal I guess I would call it you um, it- if you're really going to town and you're playing and and you're going to get that every once in a while. But he's so well-practiced and well-versed and I think everybody played so well together. There's a couple songs where it's really evident both ways about how the person, I'll go back to it, playing the trumpet and him are in sync or actually not in sync. So a lot of the songs... I don't think either
0: of them were in, in sync. I think that was much later.
1: Much later and older. Um, where they're playing, but they're playing the same thing at the same time, right? Yeah. That's hard to do. That's hard to do with a guitar, with the drums or whatever. But in these types of performances that weren't really measured or like, oh, you guys didn't match it. Let's do recording number 17 and go, right? So to have them just play that and be in sync just goes to show the level of talent. And these weren't just like little three-note mm-hmm. pieces. Like they, This was like all over the place jamming. Now, the the opposite of that is the last song, uh, number 10 on here. Little, I, I should say, Little Willie Lips. <laughs> um, if you listen to it, <laughs> that was an observation here too. So the... There's a couple of these. Salt peanuts is one of them, where there's a person who's presenting, right? Because, like I said, a lot of a lot of these are in front of an audience. So there's a person yeah. who was like your, oh your your MC your MC, and since it's in the forties, like you cannot have emotion if you're being an MC, apparently.
0: <laughs>
1: so we have another one here from little Charlie from Charlie pocket, little Willie leaps. Uh, was this a recording? Uh, no, no, it was not on an album. It was a studio thing. And (laughs) it's just like, there was no excitement, no emotion on it whatsoever. And then when this song starts off, like the first minute is them just jamming, but it's off. Right. So they're not in sync. They're not playing it together very well at all. And, they kind of catch up later on in the song, but you're just when you're listening to it, you're just like l- little discordant, little little off on that one. Maybe you should have practiced little Willie Leaps a little bit more. <laughs> so the other question I had, okay, let l- let me backtrack here. Um, in terms of in terms of jazz, do I listen to or have a large recording? album of jazz no not at all however if you're from northern indiana southern michigan um, and you are old enough to not have a cd player in your car and just had to listen to radio Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully you didn't listen to 92.9 from south bend because that was the pop music station but that was really all you could get it was pretty bad anyway there was a NPR station Uh, 88.1 so it was news jazz and blues so I did listen to that station quite a bit now I couldn't identify any of the artists or what was being played but I always felt that in terms of what I was able to listen to besides the 17 country music stations the (laughs) pop station or the soft rock station that the 88.1 was the best option to listen to music so I did listen to that station quite a bit, so I did get a lot of jazz and blues exposure uh, when I was younger in listening to that radio station. Now, the one other observation in paying attention to this album more is the name of the songs. So traditionally when you hear a song from an an artist, whatever that song is, it's incorporated in the lyrics in your face or in a roundabout form or fashion, right. so I've always wondered how these artists create the names for their songs, like "The Bird Gets the Worm," like, cool, you know, like I can make a song called "Ice Cream Sandwich," and it, like, how do you know?
0: Well, he he's the Birdman.
1: That's true. They called him the Birdman, but where it's well, Parker's mood, will that make sense? Buzzy. Salt peanuts. So, where did the guy decide to start jamming out? Salt peanuts.
0: <laughs> or well, that's now I'm I could be wrong on this one. I am I'm, I'm not certain that that one is his song. I, I think that one's a standard. Oh, okay. Let us consult the internet,
1: them internets. But I was I was thinking about this, like if I was going to make a jazz album. What would I call my songs? So like the first song, I, I, I've decided my album would be called Cream Soda. And then the first song would be cherry cream soda. And then the second one would be grape cream soda. and then the third one would be orange cream soda. <laughs> right. And that would be the that would be the name of my jazz album and all the songs.
0: Composed by Dizzy Gillespie. So if you're listening to a strong trumpet, there's a very strong chance that mm. it was Dizzy.
1: I'd like to hear, and I'm sure they're out there. I've got to imagine that they played together, that Dizzy and Charlie Parker had played together oh, yeah. at some point in time. Oh yeah. Now that would be a recording to listen to. All
0: right. That may have been what we were listening to. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's kind of what I'm saying. A lot of times they didn't just play at the clubs together. They would record together. That the There wasn't a difference between the, the studio group and who performed at the clubs. It was, it was all the same people. Um,
1: now the the other observation that I got with this too is, is since we since it was in the in the 40s, my thought process was if you were you, you could you could kind of picture the setting right. You're listening to this type of music, you are in a bar, but the bar's not on the main floor. It's in the basement, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And there's a haze of smoke, and everybody's got whiskeys and beers and they're drinking and they're just listening to the guy the the band up top jamming on the stage because that's what your entertainment was that's what you did um you know it was the it was the 40s so there was a lot of people who were preparing to go to to war because well you know bad things happened. they just they just bombed uh pearl harbor and we're gonna go join the war and you know you know represent our country but before we go we're going to have a big send off so you're going to go to the bar but in the background there's this there's this jazz band that's playing and jamming and then you're dancing with the girls and stuff as you're having your beers and stuff so like this type of music it it just got me thinking uh, it had two visuals in my head besides the artist playing and one was the the actual bar full of people and, and like I said hazy room but the other one too was Fallout 3. Oh yeah. So I get that Fallout vibe from this too. Uh it's when you it's not necessarily these artists but it's the same tone when you're walking through the in 3 which was the Capital Wasteland right and you have that radio this was always the type of radio station that I would have on playing in the background as you walk through, you know, trying to beat defeat super mutants and stuff like that.
0: And if you go in uh, just looking a little further down the informational side, uh, the definitive version it said was done by Gillespie, Charlie Parker, Al Haig on piano, Curly Russell on the bass, and Sid Catlett on drums. And I would I would lay money down that that was the version that was on that particular hmm. uh, recording that you listened to. Could be, but uh, yeah, that's some good stuff right there.
1: Yeah, had a little bit of everything and. This is a good um, placeholder, let's say, where you can kind of listen to some, some stuff. Because it, because the songs are only two minutes, three minutes long, it's easily consumable. consumed.
0: Yeah. yeah, And being easily consumable is what the radio needs uh, more often than not. They wanted those, those songs that could be two to three minutes. Because if they're too long, then it takes too long to get to the next commercial or the place where you have to talk about, say, social media. Hey there, Pudding people. Don't forget to check us out on our social media accounts so you can keep apprised of everything that we do any time of the day. Richard, you're most on Instagram, right? On the gram gram, yes. And what are we best known on Instagram as? Putting guys. Easy enough. In fact, that's also what we're known as on Facebook. Now, I'd say we're on Instagram just a little more than we are on Facebook. You might get the occasional update there. We are most active on Twitter, where we are at RealPuddingGuys. We will give you updates about the next episode that's going to be coming at the end of the week, when it's released, any other little updates to the Ultimate Comic Movie Database, or the Pop Culture Death Counts will also be there. Um, Now, our most exciting changes are going to be coming up soon. We're going to have a new website called Fate. The film and television engine. We're getting close to doing the beta for that. We're still working on the alpha side. We'll be doing a little closed beta and inviting a handful of people into this. I tell you what, it's going to be really, really cool when it releases. Now, you'll be able to also hear about that on our Patreon page. What are we on Patreon, Richard? Putting guys. Pretty easy. Now, right now, it's very easy to support us. How much does it cost, Richard? It's $1 per month. Per month. Not per day. Per month. <sighs> yes. $12
1: <laughs> for a year.
0: Yeah. Uh, that's really not much to help support us as we release new content As we get better equipment to release the content into. And when the Fate engine comes out, it will have its own cost. And we're going to make it very affordable for everyone to be involved with this. And it's going to be so cool. I can't wait for you all to hear about it. And wasn't that interesting? Weren't we just like the radio? We have our own commercial.
1: Uh, (laughs) Short, concise, (laughs) and informative.
0: That's right. And soon to be replaced. But not yet. Not yet. (laughs) All right. So I gave him something fairly short uh, that I knew would be, you know, in consumable bites, you know, the the, the jazz side of things. And he gave me a band that likes to play for 20 minutes for no particular reason. Yes. (laughs) On a given track. Now, it wasn't like that on this particular album. No. Okay. So there
1: is a band who I've come to describe as. Um, Talented musicians In a mediocre band <laughs> <laughs> Now I've A lot of A lot of my friends Are Fish fans Yeah Have been um, Shoot When I lived in the dorms I had Neighbors On both sides of me That Loved fish And one in particular That basically Just didn't go to school For a semester And just toured with them was still enrolled, lived in the dorm. And he's like, Yep, in, in a little bit, I'm going to go and I'm going to tour with Fish. And we're like, OK, Bub, whatever. Um, but there are obviously favorites, mm-hmm. favorite albums, favorite songs. And every time, you know, 20 years ago, I tried to listen to Fish, it was just garbage, gibberish. I've seen them live twice, and I couldn't recognize a single song. And the atmosphere was happy people, but the music is just like
0: – it's noise, right? Kind of. So, so your description is a little different than mine. So they're, they're, they're definitely a jam band. For those that are not familiar with who Fish is they, or what that means, that they, the whole idea is to have a basic palette and stray as far from it as you possibly can. Uh, or in some sort of progression, try and create something off of that bass and see where it goes. And For 15 minutes. For 15 minutes. Um, so sometimes that can work. Sometimes it doesn't. And so I, I don't really see them as a mediocre band so much as an, a very experimental jam band. And when it works, it's amazing. It just doesn't work a lot. <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> now i i think where it does work if you're not a huge fan of the jam band scenarios is the actual albums fish never made their money off of selling albums no. it was off of their tours their shows uh, their merchandise for example but they never made they weren't making money off of studio albums but it was a basis for all of their songs that they performed
0: they got one of the best logos for sure
1: yeah oh yeah um And what I chose for Ken was, you know, not even a popular album. It just so happens that the other albums that I had listened to long ago weren't all that spectacular. And somebody who was my neighbor below me had the actual album. And it was in a time frame where I was like, I need to collect all the music that I can let's burn a CD or two. And this was one of the CDs that I burned and I listened to it. I was like, well, shoot, this isn't bad. And the more I listened to it, the better it got. And even today, when I listen to this album, it's a really nice change of pace from, what i would normally listen to on a, on a daily basis and i'm not saying the album is perfect and it and, and it arguably has songs that you would never hear in a fish concert to be honest with you right but i like the album and i've tried i tried through most of December and January to listen to as much fish as I could to just get more familiar with the band as a whole. And let me tell you, the live albums you can listen to are
0: awful. Yeah. There's about 700 of them on Spotify alone. It's, it's ridiculous.
1: Awful is the key word, but the studio albums, especially some of their earlier, earlier albums, there's a lot of good songs that are on there. Oh yeah. Some that are kind of, uh, not uh, okay gibberish maybe but there's a lot of f- right. good songs built into those earlier albums and this one isn't an earlier album it's not a recent album it's kind of sandwiched right in between
0: and you know when we were talking about this he wondered if you know i'd listen to, I, I i'd, I'd listened to some of the earlier stuff and i i liked the album junta uh in 89 um and that has my favorite song that they do on it, uh, Esther, which is just one of those instances what I was talking about it's like this this is where it goes right. If you are looking for like the the normal formulaic uh, song, it's eh, not it. But if you're looking to have a story told with music, oh yeah, definitely. and they, they, they just nailed on the head and they uh, we were talking about another track called uh, Fluffhead that's one of their big, popular songs which is super catchy it's super catchy um so i'm familiar with some of their stuff i had not listened to this album at all um so i was kind of curious when it was described as a a a fish album for people that don't like fish um so it's like huh so do they go in a slightly different direction yeah yeah little it's, it's definitely a little bit different um Feeling like they're trying to to stretch some different musical thought processes out. So I I listened to it, and the the biggest overall impression that I got from it is inconsistent.
1: <laughs> yes, there's some there's some fast pace, there's some slow stuff, there's some weird beats, there's some normal stuff. So yeah, a little you're right, little back and forth, little mix stuff.
0: Yeah, and so I mean, and it's not even just the, the types of pacing and what they're trying to do. It's just the quality of the songs. There are several of them that I wanted to fast forward, but I'm going to be dutiful. I'm going to listen to this whole song, even though it's really annoying the crap out of me right now.
1: Repetitive in some things.
0: Right, exactly. And uh, like s- cats scratching on a chalkboard uh, oh. in, in other ways because they, they try in several of the songs to integrate some digital um, effects and sometimes it works and sometimes it just seems so out of place like i'm going to listen to this rock song and at the same time if you could take the siren from a police car and play it at the same time not in the same key does that make it better no yes. <laughs> no it does not um but you know so they start out with a track called farmhouse and it's and it's a i think it's a good start in the sense that if you're trying to establish kind of a, um, a baseline, like this is the middle of where everything is going to be, and it's all going to drastically go in different directions, but this is where we're starting from. It definitely did that. Mm-hmm. It has a very '70s feel to it. Didn't really affect me one way or the other. Uh, the progression is very standard. It's not not much to it. So okay, well let's let's go keep going on and uh, twist the second song. Um, I liked it pretty well it's got kind of a funk feel to it to a certain way uh to uh, to a certain extent uh but not something that i would seek out to listen to it's one of those things you know you know how you have to listen to bad hold music uh when you're Hmm. calling in i would rather have something like this track playing instead of the general bad music that you listen to this is something that is a little more interesting Um, the third track bug has some great piano in it. Still nice and mellow. It's got what sounds like a Hammond B3 organ in it. Um, but it's just kind of, eh. Um, so I'm starting to become a little concerned at this point. (laughs) That's like, nothing has really hit any high. Nothing's made me go, wow, this is awful either, but it's just not getting any, anywhere. And, um, so we go into back on the train and now it sounds like Southern rock. Um, the guitar is all right. Uh, again, kind of very background, uh, heavy things, tries to pick up the beat a little bit and starts adding in those digital elements I talked about. Uh, the melody is not good. The timing does not make sense in some of their progressions. And it's just kind of, it's not discordant. It's just like, you know, if you're at a middle school recital and they learned the song, but they're super nervous. So they make like a mis- misstep or two. That's what it felt like happened in the song a couple of times, but I'm sure it was on purpose because they recorded it. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um,
1: I, I feel like sometimes what Fish does, so what what they do with the lyrics, and I don't know if Trey is the one that writes all the lyrics. I'm just not familiar enough. But sometimes the lyrics are, it's like, it's like you're trying hard to be thoughtful or mysterious and the lyrics just end up being foolish in a sense it's hard to describe so it's like you're you're writing pretentious lyrics
0: yeah a little bit
1: and then the songs that they play sometimes and this is even you see this more in the live performances but it's like we're going to play something that one part is doing one tempo and another part is doing another tempo, and we're going to blend those together to make something that sounds cool, but it doesn't sound cool. It just sounds like you you tried something and it didn't work, but you liked it, so you stuffed it on the album. And I, I get that a lot with all of the, like a lot of the albums have songs like that on there in general, where it's just, it just doesn't, it misses the mark because of what they're trying to do.
0: I'm spacing the name of it, but there's a rock band that a friend of mine in college really liked that was kind of like that too. Uh, they were all like genius level musicians and wanted to do super different things. And more often than not, it just sounded like gibberish that I would never want to listen to. Uh, but occasionally, again, they would just hit it and it would be awesome. And just, But more often than not, it was not good. Medeski
1: uh, Martin, and Wood. <laughs> I can tell you that one right there.
0: <laughs> but, uh, you know, so, oh, and, th- and uh, the, the lead singer's voice. I-, I, couldn't, I-, I couldn't pin how it made me feel when I was listening to it. It's like he's not a good singer, but he's not a bad singer. Mm-hmm. But there's something about the tone of his voice, and it just hit me here a second ago. It's like I'm being serenaded by David Spade.
1: Hmm. I get that like it's he's trying hard to sing in these velvety smooth he's, he's not yelling no he's not squeaking he's just kind of talk singing in a nice mellow voice and it's okay yeah
0: but uh, so I, you're going to got a jaboo which I'm hoping that's how it's pronounced. Not
1: really sure. Mama Sing Sing.
0: Uh, (laughs) This is maybe their worst song on the entire album. Um, uh, My notes say, uh, Gibberish, best suited for children's programming. Um, It's upbeat, but is the most repetitive song that they have on the album. For sure. And his falsetto in this is terrible. It is just not good. And it's got that high-pitched digital sound alarm thing that I was talking about. It's just like, nope, erase the song, never play it again. Um, uh, Dirt uh, was actually really nice. The guitar on, on this song is really, really good. Um, uh, but the whistling kind of just throws it all. It's like, it's like putting anchovies on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I mean, it, it's good. Don't at, That didn't help.
1: Yeah, with well, like the the intro with with the whistling on yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, it's not polished.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I just uh, I'm not sure what's going on. The uh, bass line's nice. Uh, the, the strings are really nice in it. Um, the eighth track is live. Uh, the plucking doesn't seem to have any sort of purpose. <laughs> it's just kind of meh. Um, and it's one of those where well, let's get faster as we go. Well, that's great if the song is going to benefit from it, <laughs> but it really doesn't. Um, the this ninth, is, um, ninth is is short, but very good. I like the harmony in that. Uh, the In-Law of Josie Wells, very clever. I like the title of that uh, in track 10. Um, that one's really quite nice. It's instrumental. Um, the progressions are great. The digital hinting is a little weird, but not off putting. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's solid. Uh, the 11th track called Sand, uh, more digital elements, uh, great bass line. Um, possibly the other one that's my favorite off the album. And then uh, First Tube, uh, another good bass line, very upbeat. Um, just, it ha- kind of feels a little jazzy. It's um, It's a bit long. And I had a theory that this is one of the ones that they would take and make a 20 minute song at the concert.
1: Yeah, one of your observations throughout these last few was like the good bassline. I feel like I feel like they're at their best when they let the person who is playing the bass guitar and their band let them shine because he seems like he can jam. Like oh, yeah. he can make he can do really good stuff but I just don't think that the bass lines that they deliver in a lot of the songs really showcase what a talent he is. And I guess I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit biased because I like bass lines in any song that you could make. Definitely. The more of them you can do, the more you stand out with it, the better. And I feel like all of their best songs on this and other albums are the ones that have like the grooviest or the best bass lines. That's just an opinion, I guess.
0: Yeah. And and so I, I'm glad I listened to this particular album. Um there's not a single track that will make it onto my playlist. list. <laughs> it's just, just not gonna happen. Um but that doesn't mean I dislike the band as a whole. They still have several tracks that I really appreciate across the other albums. Um and it's it's just interesting. Um my
1: my second choice for you, and we, we might do this on the next album, is actually, so on Fish, the person who's playing guitar and singing is Trey Anastasio. Mm-hmm. Um, he and Les Claypool and Stuart Copeland did an album together, and it's one of my favorites, and I've only unfortunately done one album together. But I think what you find in that, it's the same thing. So they definitely were collaborative in the songs that they wrote for that album. And you can tell, you can easily tell which ones are more less Claypool forward and which ones are more Trey forward. And sometimes the songs actually kind of have a split and you can really get a distinct feel between the two artists. But if you give Trey a good bass line to play in a song, it makes a great song. And you see that in that other album too, by Oysterhead is the band. If you're a fan of Trey at all or fish at all, and you haven't heard Oysterhead, it's a great it's a great listen. Um but in terms of fish, you said you've listened to a little bit and you're a fan of their earlier stuff. Yeah. I think it's yeah, of those earlier albums, Hoist is my favorite of the bunch. Hoist is solid. Um, in listening to some of their things, that's the one that kind of stood out the most for me. In being a casual, if not unfamiliar, Fish fan.
0: Now, I will not say, if if you try and give me this other band, the only the only qualifier that I'm going to give is if Les Claypool is singing on any of the tracks.
1: Well, that's why I didn't give it to you because. <laughs> He does the secondary mic, which you love, absolutely love. I hate that microphone. He does it in a, quite a few of the tracks on the song, no, on, it, on the album. It, if, so, we, if
0: we review that, I won't actually listen. I will just say, trash, 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 trash. <laughs> uh, no.
1: Yeah, that. so what? what I found is once he started doing his solo stuff, that thing became more and more and more prominent. And it goes with him on every th- single thing that he ever does. So you'll anything modern that's less Claypool related in all the different compilations and pairings and things that he's done, even on some of the more recent Primus albums, uh, it's that microphone.
0: I feel like that's a lot like the guy that uh, uh, is in, in the major leagues. And he steps up to the plate And today he decided that uh, he was going to wear this just god-awful set of socks uh, because he just ran out of his normal socks for whatever reason. He hits a Grand Slam, and he attributes the Grand Slam to those awful socks. And, well, I can't clean them either, so they just kind of get worse over time, and he never takes them off. And he still does occasionally do a Grand Slam, but has nothing to do with the socks, and probably he'd do better if he got rid of the socks,
1: I think that's a fair comparison.
0: <laughs> but. It's um, fair. What do you think, dear listeners? Are you fans of Fish? Uh, is this one of your favorite albums? One of your least favorite albums? Are you a fan of Charlie Parker? Uh, are you a big into jazz? You love that saxophone sound? Know something that we missed? Let us know. Hit us up on our social media that we told you about. Uh, next week, we're going to come back with something just a little bit different. We're going to revisit some of our scoring on previous uh, movies. A little uh, distance giving us perspective and and realizing where we may have scored some things a little lower than we really intended to or possibly higher than we intended to.
1: I think a good observation on that is a lot of the movies that are on there, recently we've watched again Mm -hmm. and again, maybe even three times, and we've got an even better perspective on how good or bad those movies are after re-watching it and it's interesting to think that a lot of these reviews are just our instant right. thought process on it where lately we've had the discussion that hey i watched this movie twice because when it came out it was on a streaming service and i totally it changes the perspective 100 percent
0: it. it does if only there was a tool where not only could you rate a movie but then if you changed your mind, change the rating, and your friends and family could say, I don't know if anything like that exists or if anyone is working on something like that. It'd be weird. It'd be really weird. <laughs> but until next week, folks, keep listening to music. Have some fun. Spread that positive emotion. And we'll be seeing you soon.